Okay, so the readings today is taken from Job. Um, it's chapters 38, 40, and 42. So um, if you're in the church Bibles, we'll be jumping around a bit. I'll do my best to give you the page numbers. So we're going to start on page uh, 538, and it's Job chapter 38, verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now we're going to move to page 540, uh, which is Job chapter 40, verses 8 to 12. I'll just give you a second if anyone's following along. The Lord said, Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. And now we're just going to move to page 542. We're going to go chapter 42, verses 1 to 10. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer, and not deal with you according to your folly." You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Thank you. Thank you, Izzy, for bringing us our Bible reading. We're on to our uh, sixth and final week of uh, our series of talk in the book of Job. And so we're trying to uh, uh, get a grasp on the final uh, chapters. That's why we've uh, taken segments out of each. Well, there was uh, the eminent physicist, Sir Ernest Rutherford, uh, and he was once called by his friend. Uh, This uh, friend of his was marking an examination paper, and he needed a bit of advice. Um, Basically, a student had written an answer, and he didn't know whether to give the student zero marks or full marks. And the question was this, show how it is possible to determine the height of a tall building with the aid of a barometer. Well, the answer given to this question was this. Go to the top of a tall building with the barometer, 
Attach a long piece of rope to the barometer, lower the barometer to the ground, yeah, mark the point on the rope where the barometer hits the ground, pull up the barometer, measure the length of the rope and the barometer, and the length is the, uh, the, the, length is the height of the building. Now, the problem that the examiner had is that this actually correctly answered the question, but it was not what the examiner wanted to hear. He obviously wanted to hear uh, the answer based around pressure. See, uh, so he phoned up his friend Rutherford, and Rutherford uh, gave his advice, and he says to the, this person, invite the student in and see if he's messing around or whether this student is, in fact, brilliant. Ask the question again, ask the same question again, and see what he says. So this is what this guy did. He invited in the student, and the student was asked once again, show how it is possible to determine the height of a tall building with the aid of a barometer. And a student replied as thus. He says this, well, there are many ways in which to answer how questions. You could take the barometer to the top of a uh, tall building, drop it off the edge, and measure the time that it takes to reach the bottom. Then using the formula S equals UT plus a half AT squared, you could calculate the distance in which it has fallen and the height of the building. Or alternatively, on a sunny day, you could take the barometer outside, uh, you could measure the, the height of the shadow cast by the barometer, and also the height of the shadow cast by the tall building. You've then got the, the height of the barometer, and using similar sized triangles, you can calculate the height of the building. But the student says, to be honest, I don't like all that complicated stuff. The best answer is, of course, the neatest solution. So the student said, this is what I would do. I would take that barometer and I would go down to the basement and of that tall building and I would find the caretaker. And I'd say to the, care, to the caretaker, look, I've been given this lovely barometer. It is yours if you tell me the height of the building. <laughs> well, it goes to show that there are some how questions that can be answered uh, in ways that we are not expecting. And this is certainly the case in this final few section of Job. Job has been struggling with a how question. Uh, and, and it isn't really answered in a way that you might expect. So just to recap, so far there's been 36 chapters of Job in which he has been trying to work out, to figure out why he has been suffering so much. The opening two chapters sort of sets the scene. 36 chapters we've tried to cover in the last four weeks where you've seen Job and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, really trying to wrestle, to come up with explanations as to why he has experienced such great disaster. And the big why question that we've been looking at could equally be framed as a how question. And it's this, how can God be all-wise, all-powerful, and all-just, and yet let good people suffer? How can God be all-wise, all-powerful, all-just, and yet let good people suffer? And after reading and listening and wrestling uh, uh, of Job that we've, we, we, we've heard in these 36 chapters, we at last reach chapter 38. And this is the opportunity where we get to hear from God. So let's, let's, let's uh, open our ears. And there are two things I want to draw out from our readings today. And it's this, what God says and how to walk with God out of the storm. 
How to walk with God out of the storm. Actually, that's the title of our series of talks. You know, out of the storm, walking with God through suffering. So what God says, that's our first point. Our reading today begins with chapter 38, verses 1 to 3. Let's read it again. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said this, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. These are the opening words of this section. 38, chapters 38, 39, 40, 41, is is God speaking to Job on this question of suffering. And what God does through through these chapters is that he reveals something of himself to Job through asking Job a series of questions. And as we explore God's response over these chapters, I want to draw out sort of three broad categories of questions that, that, that God asks of Job. You can, you can summarize the, the, the sort of questions that God asks into three broad categories. And the first is this. The first type of question that God asks of Job is this. Can you explain my creation. Can you explain my creation? So um, the verse that we've just read leads straight into verses four to five, where it says this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? In other words, God is saying, can you explain my creation, Job? And the answer is, of course, no, Lord, I can't. I wasn't there when you laid the earth's foundations. Only you marked off its dimensions. And we go on to read throughout, and all of it is is great. It talks about the vastness and the diversity of God's creation. So, for instance, in verse 31, uh, we read this. uh, The Lord says to Job, Can you bind the beautiful uh, Pyades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? He's talking about stars. These are just two stars in our galaxy. So we've got our solar system. We've got the Earth. Think about how amazing the Earth is. And the Earth is just one planet in our solar system. And the sun is just one star in our galaxy. And do you know that there's 100 billion stars, 100 billion solar systems in each galaxy? And do you know that there are 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe? And that's, that, that's not even the limit of it because we know there's an unobservable universe beyond the limits of the observable universe. And, and do you know, do you know, Job? Do you know, can you, do you know the vastness of my creation? In, in Psalm 147, we read this, that God determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. You see, we cannot comprehend I cannot comprehend the vastness of God's creation. And nor can we comprehend the huge creativity and diversity of creation. That's what we read again as you read through verse 38 and 39. So you listed all these different animals and different varieties and creativity of God's creation. And for instance, in, in chapter 40, verse 13, we read this. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully. And then it goes on to describe the remarkable ostrich. And in verse 18, it says, and yet... When she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Whose imagination could conceive 
of an ostrich. You know, a flightless bird, but boy, can they run. They can run. You know, can you explain my creation, Job? And of course, Job has to say, only you, God. Only you are all wise. Only you are all wise. And the second strand of of questions that God asked of Job is this. Well, if you can't explain my creation, Job, can you judge my creation? We heard this uh, in the reading that uh, Izzy read out to us. uh, Chapter 40, verses 8 to 12. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself, Job, with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Job, do you think you can rule creation? Do you think you can judge creation better than me go on have your way try it bring down every proud man crush the wicked if you can think you can do a better job than I and of course Job is unable to clothe himself in his majesty he's unable to exercise justice over creation only the Lord is all just and the third strand of questions is this, well, Job, if you're not able to explain my creation, you're not able to judge my creation, perhaps you can rule my creation. I mean, chapter uh, 41, we read about this powerful Leviathan creature. In verse 19, we read this of it. It says this, firebrands stream from his mouth, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke pours from his nostrils. Verse 33, nothing on earth is his equal. A creature without fear. He looks down on all that are haughty. He is king over all that are proud. And this reminds us of Isaiah and and particularly of Revelation of how Satan is described in these books. A dragon-like creature. And Job is asked, can you rule my creation? In fact, he's asked quite explicitly in verses one to five, can you pull a leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a hook through his nose or pierce his jaw with a, uh, can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put a leash uh, on him for your girls? Job. Can you rule my creation? Of course not, God. Only you are all powerful. You see, what we get in these verses is God revealing to Job and to us a glimpse of his majesty. Only God can explain, only God can judge, and only God can rule his creation. For only God is all wise, all just, and all powerful. So let us return to that question. How can God be all wise, all powerful, and all just, and yet let people, good people, suffer? See, God doesn't give Job an explanation. He gives Job a revelation, a revelation of himself, of who God is. You see, 
We've got a limited human capacity. Let's not, let's not forget that we are created. We are not the creator. We've got a limited human capacity of thinking about God. And what this leads to is it leads to us trying to pit one attribute of God against another part of his character. We, we say things, well, if God is loving, then surely he can't, do, he can't also be holy and expect us to, to live certain ways. We try to pit parts of his character up against each other. And we do this when we say, well, well God is all wise, so he's aware of suffering, and God is all powerful, so he can do something about suffering, and God is all just, so he must want to do something about suffering. And God says, I am. I am all wise. I am all powerful. I am all just. You might not be able to comprehend how these things fit together, but I am. I am all wise. I am all powerful. I am all all just. You see, God doesn't provide us with an explanation. Our minds cannot fathom it. Instead, God provides us a revelation of himself. Now I want you to imagine uh, a six-year-old comes up and he goes to this rocket launch uh, and he confidently asserts uh, to the physicists overseeing the launch that there is absolutely no way that that rocket is going to get off the ground. It's just too heavy. That's what this, this six-year-old comes up to, the, to, to, to this eminent physicist. And, and what, does the, what does the physicist say to the six-year-old? Does he provide an explanation? Does he start unpacking the complexities of propulsion to the six-year-old? No, he can't even begin to explain the physics and the engineering behind it. Instead, he simply provides a revelation. He says, sit back and see. Sit back and see. And like the six-year-old, we have a major knowledge problem. We are unable to to comprehend uh, with human wisdom and intellect. uh, uh, What we are able to comprehend is an infinitesimally small fragment of what God knows. Chapter 38, verse 1, the Lord says this to us. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? You see, if we have God who's big enough and powerful enough for us to be mad at that he does not stop suffering, then we must concede that we must also have a big enough God and a powerful enough God for him to have reasons why he allows it, even if we can't conceive it. What God says, that's our first point. He he doesn't provide us with an explanation. He provides us with a, a revelation. Now, I've said it before, actually, there is a reason, and I wish I had more time this morning to, to go into why he, God, God doesn't provide Job with the explanation. We know the explanation. We've read chapters one and two, but God doesn't because God is more concerned with bringing Job into the person that he's called him to be, this man of integrity, and he, and he can't do that whilst at the same time giving Job an explanation. But anyway, we, we, we can't, we can't get, I'd love to unpack about what God does not say. But in fact, we haven't got time. We've got to walk, go on to our second question. And it's this, how to walk with God out of the storm? How do we do it? How do we walk with God out of the storm? You see, in these 36 chapters of, of wrestling and questioning that lead up to these, these chapters that we're looking at today, Job wanted two things. Job wanted an explanation. And he also wanted 
vindication. Now you can remember that, that if you've been with us in previous weeks, his friends, his three, what Job calls his miserable comforters, are basically saying that, that all his suffering uh, that Job is experiencing must be a consequence of some kind of sin in Job's life. Because God would not allow the innocent to suffer. It must be some kind of sin. But Job knew this was not the case. And we know it is not the case because we've read chapters 1 and 2. But Job wanted his friends to know that he did not deserve the suffering he was experiencing. He wanted people to know that he was an innocent sufferer. So let us return to two words from the opening verse of today's reading. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Then the Lord answered. Let's pick up those words in turn. Lord. You know, in the preceding 36 chapters of wrestling and questioning, the word used of God is the generic Hebrew word for the divine being. You know, what we read in our Bibles as God. Pick up any chapter from the the previous 36 and you will see that every time God is spoken of, it's G-O-D. It's a generic Hebrew word. But then suddenly and unexpectedly, when God speaks the opening verse of 38, we don't read G-O-D. We read the personal, the intimate, the loving name of God that we translate as Lord, capital L, O-R-D, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. This is a personal name. It's a loving name. It's a name given to Moses when, when he revealed himself to Moses for this first time. It's a self-revelation. It's the most intimate name God can give. It's so holy that, that Jews, Jews refuse to speak this word. And out of respect, I, I do not like to speak this word. Uh, it begins with why. You know, it, you know it, it's a holy name. It's an intimate name. You know, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a loving name. And, the, and, and God reveals it to Job. And he says, I am your personal God. I love you. And the second word is answered. Lord answered. The Lord answered Job out of the storm. And this is not the first time that we hear God answering. Go back to chapters one and two, we hear God speaking again. But every time that God answers Satan, the word used is a very different word. It's a a word that that speaks of a one-way communication between a superior to an inferior. That's how God speaks to Satan, a one-way communication from a superior to an inferior. And yet the word answered here to Job, isn't this one-way communication? It's a dialogue between friends. It's a dialogue between friends, and this is meant to startle the readers who read this in Hebrew. On one hand, God is saying, I am infinite and majestic and holy and wise and all-powerful and all-loving, all-powerful and all-just, and yet, out of the storm, I come to you as a voice of love. This is a self-revelation of God. He, he's revealing to Job that he loves him. So let's return to, to, to chapter 40, verse 8. God says to Job, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And this is a complex bit, but it's a, it's a key bit to understanding what's going on here. 
would you condemn me to justify yourself? You see, Job had been complaining, saying to God, you know, that why am I suffering because I have led an upright life? And God is responding to Job's complaint. And he's saying, must I be condemned for you to be justified? Must I, God, be condemned by you so you'd be justified? God is saying, are you trying to vilify me by, by judging me and saying that you're innocent and I'm unjust? God is saying to Job, in order to try and justify yourself, you are trying to condemn me. And God says, would you condemn me to justify yourself? And you see, on a micro level, the answer is, of course, no. Job needs to trust God, to rest in his world, to trust that he is just. But on the macro level, on the picture of the whole Bible, the answer to that same question is a remarkable a mind-blowing yes. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. Must God be condemned for me, for you to be justified? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Because unless Jesus Christ came upon the cross, you and I cannot be justified. We can't make it on our own. When Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, the infinite justice of God and the infinite love of God was satisfied at the same time. At the cross, we see a God that is so holy and so just that someone had to die for sin and rebellion for all the injustice of this world. And yet at the cross, we see a God in Jesus who is so loving that he would nail himself to that wooden cross. He was willing to die for you, infinitely just and infinitely loving at the same time. And Jesus Christ was condemned in your place so that you would be justified. And so now, do you know what? Do you know what comes for you? It's not the wrath of God. Jesus Christ took all that upon himself. The only thing that comes to you now is that voice of love. And this is your vindication. For who cares what the world thinks? God loves you and that's all you need to know. If you get that, that's all you need to know. God comes to Job as the Lord, his personal, intimate friend who dialogues with him. God comes in love and this is all the vindication that Job needs. And we see this to be the case when we pick up the final chapter, which Izzy read to us. Chapter 42, Job says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job is saying, I used to have this, this, this abstract idea of the greatness of God, but now through this suffering, I have personally experienced your greatness for myself. I don't need an explanation. And Job is, Job is also saying, I used to have a vague understanding of the grace of God, but now I see that you, even though your greatness is infinite, you come to me in love. You love me. And that's all the vindication that I need. 
And then in the next verse, verse six, Job speaks of that repentance, which means he takes back what he's been saying in the previous 36 chapters. He takes back his need for an explanation. He takes back his demand for vindication. He says, I now glimpse the awesomeness of God and I don't need an explanation. I now am beginning to grasp the grace of God so I no longer demand vindication. It is enough that he loves me. The Lord knows what he is doing and I don't need to. All I have to do is put my hand in his and to trust that he will take me out of the storm when the time is right. As our title of our series describes it, Job is walking with God out of the storm. The book concludes with Job forgiving his friends for making things harder than him, harder for him than consoling him. And forgiveness, friends, is important. For, for friends can let you down, particularly in times of suffering. And Job forgives them and he prays for them. And God gives Job back all kinds of good things. Friends, God loves you. He really does. Trust him and walk with him out of the storm. We're going to stand, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship. Let's stand.